0: Well, he pointed out it was the laity who actually, by their tenacity, preserved the faith through those centuries and eventually wore out the clergy. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And brought them back to the Orthodox faith that we believe now that Jesus is fully divine. So the laity are an essential part of the church. They're an essential part of the teaching function of the church, Mm -hmm. right? And preserving our faith is also. Very much the duty of the laity. So, know your faith, hold on to it, be stubborn. Do
1: you know that Father Vitor is like a great mixologist? Really?
2: Maybe you didn't know that. I did not know that.
0: Well, I'm an amateur, but <laughs> I do take it seriously.
1: <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Beautiful. Father Vitor, welcome to the podcast. Oh,
0: thank you. Wonderful to be with you.
1: Um, We know you from being the parochial vicar at St. John of Arc, but for those that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of a bio um, about yourself?
0: Sure. I mean, the short story is that I'm from the East Coast originally, and I was an Episcopalian, and I got married and am married still. Uh, I have six children, and we moved from Virginia to Phoenix, Arizona in 2005, we were still Episcopalians at that point, uh, but then I became a Catholic and then I was ordained a Catholic priest in 2010. And since then, I've served in a few parishes and in a school. And uh, now I'm at St. Joan of Arc, uh, which is wonderful as Procure Vicar. And, um, you know, my kids are getting older. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have been married 29 years uh, this June. And uh, everything everything is great.
1: That's amazing. We're very lucky to have you uh, oh, at St. Joan of Arc. Um, so, it, can, right off the bat, can can, can I ask you um, what made you look into Catholicism? And in, in, was it in 2005 you you came into the the church? But when did it start?
0: Well, you know, in hindsight, I can see things from my childhood that were pointing me, and yet at the time when I was a child, they weren't making such an impact on me i was episcopalian my whole family was i never doubted that but um, as i got older uh, the episcopal church started moving let's just say leftward
3: Mm -hmm. at
0: an ever-increasing rate and at the same time i was maturing in my spiritual life and in my knowledge of scripture and tradition and the history of the church and so i would say i was becoming more catholic so at the same time that the Episcopal Church is sort of moving leftward, I was moving the other direction. I would say toward the tradition of the Church. And and finally, I realized uh, as an Episcopal minister, I I'm not going to change the Episcopal Church. Uh, you know, I don't really fit in here. Mm-hmm. I believe what the Catholics believe. And mm-hmm. and I would say a pivotal moment was when I read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, that was published. I forget the exact year, but Mm -hmm. I remember when it came out, I was very struck by the fact that the church could write a book that explained everything it believes. And uh, I set out to read it and I didn't get very far at first and I put it down. Uh, But then I was drawn back to it and I picked it up and I read it straight through and I said, you know, I believe everything in here. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I disagree with. And I think at that point I realized I was drawn to become Catholic. I didn't know when or how, mm. because I was an Episcopal minister and this was my livelihood. And how am I gonna become Catholic? That mm-hmm. seems like, how does this ha- even happen? Um, but at that moment I knew I'm, I'm gonna be going in that direction. And By God's will and in yeah. God's good mm-hmm. time, I'll get there. That's,
1: that's amazing. awesome. Um, yeah, the, the the catechism of the Catholic Church—that's a hard read to go like page to page. It's more like <laughs> right consult, consultation kind of. Kind yeah, of book. yeah. Um, that's fantastic. So, did you have a family meeting and be, and was like, all right, kids. We're becoming Catholic. Well, we
0: moved out here in 2005, and I was still Episcopalian, and I was at an Episcopal church, and things just weren't going very well. And uh, I had a friend of mine from seminary days who I had heard about had become Catholic and was on his way to becoming a Catholic priest. Okay. And I said, what? That's possible? And so I started looking into it and I saw it was possible. And there was a conference that was going to happen in the summer of 2006 for men who were interested in perhaps making this transition. And I said, well, I've got to go to that. Mm -hmm. So I went to the conference, um, you know, heard all about it, met the man, Father William Stetson, the Catholic priest who was in charge of administering this process. Um, and, and I just knew I have to do this. So then. I went home and saw my wife and we were, I remember one evening we were driving and I said to her, well, I think we have to become Catholic. And she nearly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me fill that out by saying uh, I was in the Navy when we got married. Okay. So she thought she would be a Navy officer's wife. Uh, that's okay. what she thought she was going to get. Then I left the Navy and became an Episcopal minister. And so that was a big change already. But she took it well. Okay. And now I'm coming to her and saying, well, I think, you know, I should be a Catholic priest.
3: <laughs> That's a
0: lot of change. And she's saying, what are you doing? Where, where will this end? I said, look, I, I'm pretty sure this is it. You know? It's the last one. I'm and not promise. becoming anything else. This is it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's
1: it. And this is the uh, the pastoral provision that St. John Paul II uh, yeah. opened up. I don't know how to phrase it. Um he was the one that established that provision for Episcopalian and Anglican ministers to yes. come into the the church. Yep, yeah,
0: it, it goes back to the Second Vatican Council when there was discussion of a preliminary discussion of could there be on a limited basis some married priests in the Latin rite. Of course, we know in the Eastern rite there are married right. priests. So mm-hmm. you know, because there are, then couldn't there be here? So so this is the basis of discussion. There was also a very strong feeling of ecumenism you know interchurch dialogue between the catholic church and the other separated brethren mm-hmm. and and there was a close feeling to the anglicans because the anglican church is kind of halfway between being protestant and being catholic it's 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 kind of it's in its own category so there's a closer feeling toward it and uh there was a commitment made uh, at the second vatican council um that the anglican church and the catholic church were committed to dialogue with each other until they could establish a full communion relationship Mm. now that quickly got lost and overshadowed in the events that followed vatican II and in the events that happened in the anglican world the ordination of women to the ministry (laughs) and things like this um you know but but there was a history there between the two churches and so that history went forward and led John Paul II, St. John Paul II, to establish this pastoral provision, which was a means or a pathway by which former Episcopal ministers, Anglican ministers, it's the same thing, uh, have have left the Episcopal Church and become Catholic if they meet certain conditions, uh, can go through a process and become Catholic priests. And there would be, uh, on a limited basis, married priests Mm -hmm. in the Latin rite.
1: But this is not something that you just filled out of form and you were good to go. Like You had to go through some uh, sort of like...
0: Uh, yes, it took, or, it took three years. It, it
1: took three years? Right. So you were a layman in the Catholic Church for three years, basically.
0: Exactly. I, I left the Episcopal Church in uh, April of 2007 and then started a process in, in at St. Maria Goretti Catholic Church, actually, mm-hmm. with Father Doug Lorig, who okay. was... He's passed away now, may he rest in peace. Uh, but uh, he was the other married priest Got it. in the Diocese of Phoenix, the original one. The original uh, one. So he, was, so he was a natural point of contact for me. You know, so, so he was very helpful and understanding, and, and you know he knew where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. And I had a small group of people with me from my previous Episcopal parish who also wanted to become Catholic. So he guided us and shepherded us. And we became Catholic then in December of 2007.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: And and in that time period, I met Bishop Olmsted and began the formal process of the pastoral provision, Mm -hmm. which included study and and formation and, you know, different elements. You know, ultimately it led up to written and oral exams, which I passed. Thank goodness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) is you it know, rigorous
0: i thought it was pretty hard okay yeah yeah i'll tell you one story about it okay i w- thought i was really prepared in canon law you have the different subject areas you know dogmatic theology spiritual theology and canon law and i thought i was really prepared you know i could talk about the origin of the law and how it developed and all these things well, well i did, did my written exam and i thought that was fine i went for my oral exam and my examiner a professor at in the seminary just said, well, when you, when your bishop gives you the faculty to hear confessions, will you be able to hear confessions anywhere in the world? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't ever thought about that specific question. And he asked me then another a, sort of a series of very specific questions, uh, to which I was scratching my head. And finally, I said, look. I understand canon law is important and uh, I've been studying it and I'll continue to study it, you know? And, and, and I also know that there are forms that we can follow and Mm -hmm. fill out that will guide us. And I know there's a chancery that we can call down and ask questions. (laughs) And so I promise you that I will not be a renegade. I will follow (laughs) the canon law. And he sat back in his chair and he said, okay. Wow. You know, so I made it through.
1: Well, it's kind that's of those cool. things that you, if you are in another diocese, you have to bring like your letter of good standing if you want to say mass in right. this other diocese. Kind of situation. So that's the one that I I've heard of. I don't know like the exact. Right. I'm not a canon lawyer. Don't quote me. Uh, Wait, you're not. Like All book, this I'm, time I thought you I'm were a canon lawyer. Canon
2: that's why I hung out I hung out with you. Yeah.
1: Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that and your drinks.
0: This podcast, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta step it up. You <laughs>
2: he did not tell you that he did not tell you that right he he did not disclose that i was today years old i was today years old when i don't knew that you were not a canon lawyer
1: so all right (laughs) you're ridiculous okay um so you had a newborn son at your ordination is that right yes how old was your three days? <laughs> wow. He
0: was born September 8th. And uh, I didn't know if my wife would be able to come to my ordination because you know, she was expected to deliver any day. Right. Uh, well, she did deliver on September 8th. Thanks be to God. That was my sixth child healthy. Everything was great. Uh-huh. And uh, she felt up to it and she had him in one of those front carriers uh-huh. and made it to the ordination.
2: Beautiful.
1: God bless your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then your first assignment was uh, St. Thomas at the Saint Apostle. St. Thomas
0: the Apostle, and I was ordained at St. Thomas the Apostle as okay. well. And I think it was a wonderful event for the parish there, uh, and they really welcomed me. Uh, the pastor was Father John Eric,
3: mm-hmm. and
0: um, mm-hmm. you know he he really welcomed me. And I think I think the diocese at a certain point. Was wondering where they were going to assign me like okay this guy vitor has made it this far and we're going to ordain him but then what mm-hmm. uh, right where's he going to go but father eric said well i'll take him and and so he took me on and continued to be a very strong mentor and teacher to me um but the, but the ordination itself yes took place there and then then i was at the parish for about four and a half years which for a parochial vicar is a pretty long time mm-hmm. you know so i right. got to know the, the people really well and so Father
2: John Eric was at uh, St. Thomas? He was the pastor
1: there at the time.
2: Oh, because he was then. He was
1: parochial vicar at St. John of Arc at some point. Mm-hmm. Afterwards. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then from there. I'm you, following you, him around. Where are I'm you now? <laughs> going to go to Williams. He was in Williams for a while. I think yeah.
2: he's at St. Thomas More right now. He is. Mm-hmm
1: um yeah i can't go to williams <laughs> too cold just tell your uh,
2: wife we're another change <laughs> i don't think
1: you should appreciate that i don't want to push it um but then i think i met you at saint bernadette because i would go to confession on saturdays uh. and, and and you were there um as a parochial beaker as well with father pete rosa may he rest yes pete. um and uh and and i Kind of had heard, and like, oh, it's a married priest. Like, but I kind of knew from like the advice that you would give in the confessional not to do, divulge anything. Mm-hmm, or something, mm-hmm. I was like, there's something about him. <laughs> this guy's a little this, different. Yeah,
0: like
2: he has some very interesting you know, insight. <laughs> uh,
1: so, do do you think that um, there are like uh, are there advantages, and then are there disadvantages for you being? Um, married priest to for your
0: ministry right right. I appreciate you asking that Um, I I think that the the, we're talking about two different sacraments here right one is ordination and then one is matrimony and I think I think the reality is they can work together very well at the same time there is a particular burden to it and so it's not it's nothing that I think should become widespread Mm -hmm. so I'd want to say up front That, yes, I'm a married priest, and I think it's good to have some married priests around. But I do not believe the priesthood should widely Mm -hmm. become married. I support the celibate priesthood. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think having some married priests around shows the sacrifice that the celibate men are making for God, for the kingdom of God, and can highlight that right? The fact that I can be a priest and be married shows that my brother priests have made the sacrifice.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. So that's, that's what I hope that these things are complementary and not in any competition with each other, but more directly to your question. Yes. Uh, as a married man, I think I have experience that I can bring into my pastoral work that some of my brother priests might have to stretch a little further. Right. Right. So uh, married families and most people are, you know, uh, can feel an immediate uh, affinity
3: mm-hmm. with
0: me, and, and maybe I can speak into their situation more readily, mm, right. with a depth of understanding, because I'm living it myself.
3: And I, and I think
0: that does help me. Um, you know Where's my brother, priests who are celibate? You know, they, they come from families and they, and they have siblings who are married, and so they, they certainly know and can speak to, to marital situations and family life, right? But maybe they have to stretch a little further right whereas mm-hmm. people feel a more immediate response uh to some of what i might have to say um i'll also say that yes being married and being a priest is kind of a double load um but you know look every every married man who ha- who also works a a, di- a difficult job you know has to balance work and family in mm-hmm. you know in some way and so it's kind of the same for me um you know i just have to look at these two responsibilities i have and just juggle them, you know, as well as I can and and do my best with it. Uh, Also, my family has always known me uh, as first an Episcopal minister and now as a Catholic priest. You know, the fact that I was an Episcopal minister before, Uh you know, my family was used to that. So all my kids, as they were born, dad was a minister, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I was actually ordained an Episcopal minister when my oldest two children were, you know, like, I think three and, and one and a half. You know, so so their earliest memories—it's they all they've ever known, yeah. Right. So when I became a Catholic priest, it was just well, it's Daddy doing his ministry. So it wasn't you know like a radical change.
1: Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, because that was going to be kind of one of my follow-ups. It's like, what did your kids say when you're like, oh, well, I guess we're Catholic. now, But it, for them, it was like, okay, well, Dad's still a minister yeah. in the Catholic Church now.
0: Well, you know, my whole family became Catholic uh, when when I did, so we all became Catholic together as a family. And um, with with my wife, with Mrs. Vitor, you know, I probably pulled her along a little faster than she would have gone on her own. Okay. You know, she would have taken more time with it. Um, I didn't I didn't push her. I I, I told her you don't have mm-hmm. to do this right away. You know, but but I think I do. Um, and and then she said, well, what am I going to do? I can't be separated from you, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so she's going to come along. Uh, And, and, and then the children, I think just look to me as the head of the family and as the one who's knowledgeable about the spiritual life of our family. And so if I say that this is what we should do and I'm doing it, and I, then of course, you know, they all came right along with me. And most of them were so young still Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's just very it was very natural.
1: Got it. Yeah. And for a time you your whole family were parishioners at St. John of Arc. You would go to Mass there? Well, uh to some
0: extent. So I, I was at St. Thomas the Apostle when I got ordained, mm-hmm. and I was parochial vicar for four and a half years. Then I went to Saint Bernadette mm-hmm. just for one year. Mm-hmm. And and while I was at Saint Bernadette, um, I tried to redo my uh, bathroom at home by myself. Mm-hmm. And I wound up hurting both shoulders and my back, oh, no. so I needed shoulders. I needed surgeries in both shoulders. Oh no! It was it was, it was kind of a tough year. Uh, so so a change would be good. So I went to St. Mary's to teach. I taught before okay. in my in my ministry, so it seemed a natural thing to mm-hmm. do, and and it would be a more regular schedule, and and yeah. you know, that would be good. Uh, so, so I went to St. Mary's high school and was there for four and a half years teaching. Uh, and then after that, I went to St. Joan of Arc where I am now. So that's my career. Uh, but when I was at St. Mary's, um, you know, I wasn't assigned on Sundays anywhere. So sometimes I would fill in. So sometimes I even said Mass yeah, at St. Joan of yeah, Arc on that's occasion. Um, but sometimes I would just go to church with my family. hmm you know, and we would, I would just slip in, go to Mass, slip out.
2: <laughs> so that was where we first uh, knew about you. Um, it was the beginning of Lent, and you were a visiting priest at St. Joan. And me and my wife, um, your homily that day that really spoke to us. And I remember she reached out um, to you after that. She was like, "Who is that?" You know, I think she had to ask around in the office, right. and in the office, like nobody really knew right. where you were. You weren't like assigned to any other parish, so she had to kind of like track you down, and she stalked you a little bit online <laughs> until she like she found out that you were at St. Mary's, and she she reached out to you. She gave you a call, and she asked, you know, Father, um, you were at Mass at St. John of Arc. Is it possible to get a copy of your homily? And You're like, I don't have it. Because you were telling us uh, earlier that you don't write them down. Right. You know, so so that's kind of like the first time. Uh, and then you weren't there for the longest time. Yeah. And then when you were back and the news broke pretty quick that you were going to be assigned in St. John, we were like, that is awesome. That is great.
0: Well, I I recognized that Father Keneally no longer had a parochial vicar. And one day I asked him, I said, do you have a parochial vicar? And he said, well, no, I don't. I said, so you're all by yourself? He said, I am. And I had been thinking uh, probably it was time that I moved on from St. Mary's. Um, mm-hmm. and, and because
1: you know I live in my own
0: home with my family, you know I, I, I need to go to a church that's close enough to, yeah. my, to my house. Mm-hmm. And St. Joan of Arc you know, is definitely one that fits the bill. Uh, so I thought, well, this, this is the time mm-hmm. to make a move. So I started uh, talking and asking and, and it became possible. That's awesome. So We're lucky. so lucky so to lucky have to you. There. Well, thank you so yeah. much.
1: Um, so, I saw that you also did try to like uh, um, change gears a little sure. bit. Um, you are also part of the um, Institute of Catholic Theology, it's related to St. Yes. Thomas the Apostle. I saw that you have a course called Catholic Political Life. Um, where you answer questions like, how do we live as Catholics in the public square? What are the principles that guide us? And how do we apply them specifically? Um, is this something that... that um, I'm trying to find the right words to ask you. Like, are you passionate about this, like be Catholics in the public square? Because I, I, from your preaching, I can kind mm-hmm. of sense that but can, can you give us your own take on what Catholics should be like in the public square? Okay.
0: I'll speak to that. Um, first, let me say the Institute of Catholic theology is something that father, John Eric established mm. at St. Thomas, the apostle. Um, my involvement is that I was interested in teaching adults and had, and had a certain energy and passion for teaching adults and so teaching the faith you know in that sort of forum would be very appealing to me maybe that helped encourage him that this would be a, a good project that he'd had he'd have enough people around mm-hmm. uh, you know to staff it and, and to get it up and running but it was his vision and his initiative that got it going so okay. I want to give him credit full credit for that um, but then I was allowed to teach there uh, lots of different classes and one of them was this class on Catholic political life I'm the one who thought that up and wanted to teach it and gathered materials and you know presented the class. I mean our, our classes were six weeks long, two mm-hmm. hours at a time. So they were, you know, one night a week we'd meet. So they were pretty, pretty in-depth, intensive classes. And in that class, I was trying to get the participants to see uh, based on our Catholic identity and our fundamental Catholic teachings, that there is indeed a certain way that we should approach issues. That are current in today's political scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so more briefly, I might say, look, um, something like abortion. Uh, people might say, "Well, that's a political issue. Don't talk about that." I'd say, no, no, it's a moral issue. Mm-hmm. It's a Catholic moral issue. You know, if somebody else politicizes it and uses it for political purposes, that's their business and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I am going to speak about it, and I'm going to vote on it. Mm-hmm based on my Catholic moral teachings, my Catholic identity. And that's how we have to approach it. So if we were just to leave it up as a political thing and discount it, you know, as just another issue among others, you know, that, that would not be a correct view of the matter. So that's the, that's the biggest example, abortion. I mean, that's been such a right. huge issue, you know. In, in right our, now, when we're living. But, but you see what I'm trying to do, right? Is make a contrast yeah. here, that there's a, a Catholic a point of view, and not even a point of view. There's a Catholic teaching uh, that, and this is what we need to follow. This is who we are. Uh, and then, then there are realities in the political scene, and how those two things uh, mesh is what we have to look at. So that's a, that's what the class was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I haven't enrolled to it yet, but it sounds something that I can uh, that I have like, it's still um, available online. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Um, they have so many good courses in the ICT you going to say something? Yeah.
2: Uh, and I think coming back to your preaching on, on those topics specifically, I really appreciate that you don't pull any punches. Mm-hmm. You know, you call it as it is. And I think we need a lot more of that, you know, not just from the priests. I think you, you, priests do an amazing job in their own respect, but we just need to be able to dialogue. Mm-hmm. As a society, I think we've lost the art of dialoguing yes. and everything is an attack. And everybody's getting offended, um, specifically on topics like abortion. You know, it's 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 good to have a healthy conversation, but standing our ground. And I think you as the the our shepherds in that sense, you know, from the pulpit leading by example and really bringing up those those topics and, and teaching us how how to stand for those very important topics is pretty invaluable. So when you do do it, I am. All ears. I am very appreciative of, of the candor and the, the simplicity, but also the directness and the call to action, you know, because it's like it shouldn't we shouldn't just be passive about it, right. especially when it comes to abortion. And I think we obviously need to follow Catholic social teaching on it and, and, and what the catechism and doctrine teaches us and be active about it wherever God calls us, I'm not just saying go out and, and, and make a ruckus, but when the time comes to have a conversation, really, you guys really lead by example, specifically you, when, when, when you brought up those uh, topics about um, that you were preaching on.
1: Um, yeah. That's Sunday. My wife and I exchanged glances and just like did this motion of <laughs> mic drop at the end of your <laughs> homily. Well, so, thank you for your encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, there are like things that we should be in the know, and like like you said, just because they're politicized issues like uh, abortion, homosexuality, mm-hmm. uh, gender confusion. I forgot the fourth topic that that you mentioned that uh, Sunday. Contraception. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it, and and that's one of the things that it, it kind of makes my blood boil. That people just call NFP Catholic contraception mm-hmm. that you touched on, but th- that's right. a different conversation altogether. <laughs> right. But um, being knowledgeable enough to have those conversations and be like, no, 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 th- this is not about your feelings. This is about natural law in our beliefs and teachings, what the Catholic church says about these things. And, I, we come from a background that we were very poorly catechized in Mexico. Right. Okay. So learning about our faith, learning about what the Catholic Church stance is on all of these social teachings, is our duty as citizens uh, to to be better fathers, better husbands, Absolutely. better part of society. Mm-hmm. And especially as
2: fathers, right? Because you start then your kids start growing and then you have teenagers and all of a sudden they start qu- questioning because they're seeing different perspectives from their friends or from their school or from different peers. And then if you don't have that basis and, and, and a way of explaining things in a way that it's, first of all, it's logical to them that, that you know why you're talking and what you're teaching them. Yeah. Cause some people say, well, it's just wrong. Just don't do it. Well, that's not enough when there's so many arguments from the other side being bombarded. So I think it's about the education and, and living the faith, not only as a Sunday Catholic. And we've touched on this on the podcast. You know, that's what we strive to be. We strive to be men of God that are intentionally living our faiths. And hopefully that this is inspiring other men to do the same, having guests such as yourself. That's what we're hoping to, to achieve with this and and to really uh together get there you know and together challenge ourselves and to uh, together push ourselves to be better for the body of christ essentially
0: excellent well just to follow up on what you're both saying i mean the first thing is we just need to embrace our faith so we need to know it know our faith and embrace it and then teach our families and Mm -hmm. just say in our family we are a catholic family this is what we believe. This is who we are, and you get that established. I'm not saying with a heavy hand, but just by by loving it, talking, uh, and leading by example. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. your children and, and you're united with your wife uh, about the subject as well, and and they just absorb it, and then and then this is the stand we take. So as they go to school and interacting with other people, you know, they know who they are.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My son recently asked me. Daddy are is everyone Christian? I'm like, no, not exactly, <laughs> and he said, Is everybody that we know Christian? I'm like, most of them, yeah, mostly hang out with yeah a bunch of Christians um so those those are the things that I'm like, well the brain of a six year old he's already starting to ask those kinds of questions, like we are Christians, we mm-hmm. act a certain way right um, which frightened me because like they're like Watching every single move. Yes, <laughs> what I do, especially now that I'm <laughs> at home 24 seven. They'll observe
0: also your humility and your ability to say, "I'm sorry, and I should have done this, kids." And mm-hmm. this is why. It's a difficult they'll, part. They'll see that also.
1: Well, I'm working on that one. All right. <laughs> um So, I. Also have a story for you in in that same Sunday that, that you mentioned those four uh, controversial topics. I was in the um, narthex of the church with my youngest because he was screaming his head off. Uh, One lady left right after your homily. I was like, that's not that bad.
0: It's only one person left. I didn't notice,
1: but yeah, that happened. I mean, God bless her. Right. Yeah. Um, it is what you,
0: it is, you know. And even and you're mentioning uh, with children uh, in there, you know. Well, I I think about that, and I and I try to speak about these things in a way that if a child hears what I'm saying, you know, it'll be all right. But still, there's going to be some words that kids might not know yet, and mm-hmm. they're going to ask yeah. their mom or their dad, you know, what's contraception?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, we were you,
1: waiting for the, you're going to have to explain that, you know,
0: <laughs> but. We have to talk about that. We can't say, "Well, there are kids in mass, so I can't yeah. ever talk about that." When when are we going to talk about
3: it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. So I try to be careful and say it in a in a respectful way. But but these are subjects we have to talk about.
2: Yeah, and I think it's good for us as parents to be uh, prepared for those questions because they're going to come up eventually.
3: Yes,
2: you know. So and 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 it's a it's a fine art. You know, you got to find the balance and and. How to speak to your children at different stages of their life right. of their development, but it's age appropriate. Co- correct, right. you know.
0: The first time they ask the question, they only need a little answer,
2: a little bit, yeah, you know. But if their second answer, when they're like five years older than the first time they asked it, aligns with the first time that they heard about it, they're like, okay, because that's the other thing. We cannot be like sugarcoating things forever for our kids. No, that's how a lot of people fall away from the faith. I've I've come to find. The, the 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 time that I had my falling away was in college. It was because I, I thought I was, I thought I was good. I was a youth minister and I was like in youth group ever since from age 12 till I left for college at 18. So six years, I did nothing else but be in church Saturday and Sunday. So I thought I was good. good. I thought I was well prepared for the world and caught me to totally by surprise. But I wasn't. Necessarily catechized. I was living my faith as a very uh, sentimental and emotional and traditional. We've talked about it as well. As Mexicans, it's more of a traditional thing that you do. You go to mass and cultural Catholic. It's a cultural Catholic. You know, it's it's because my mom goes. My mom prays the rosary, and 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 that's fantastic. There's grace is definitely delivered through those actions and those devotions. But in terms of like an, an intellectual level. It was only until I started going to masses in Joan of Arc hanging around with other other men you know like Walter like other people at a retreat where you kind of like the heavens open you're like oh I okay, can't there, there's more but it makes sense I know that nothing it actually
0: speaks clearly it, and,
2: correct and, and that's
0: and there's you can have further questions and there's answers to those
2: exactly and then
0: you can ask another question and there's an answer to that one
2: yeah and and and, and it's endless you know because yeah. it's so deep and it's so rich but it, in in terms of like the the way that we were catechized, especially talking about myself, it was not talked about at the home. It was right. just something that we did on a weekend. Yeah. And my parents were great about taking us to mass, um, but it, that's where it stopped.
0: Sure. You know? yeah, I, I understand that mm-hmm. too. You know, Growing up Episcopalian, it was very much of a cultural uh, uh, family thing. You mm-hmm. know? And so we would go to church sometimes Uh, And then every now and then at Christmas or something, there might be a grace set at the meal, but nobody ever spoke about God, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: right? Or ever, ever got into it at all. Yeah. It was just something that was done. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then after you did it, it was over. Yeah. And, you know, so, but that's the way a lot of people are Mm -hmm. uh, in in terms of their faith. But obviously we need to go beyond that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same for us. It was like Thanksgiving. That's when we said grace and we prayed on our father before the meal. That was it. Right. And 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 again, I think there was definitely some basis there that when I came back to the faith in a more intellectual in, in intellectual and adult way, I was like, OK, I get it now. Right. You know, all of that stuff worked. But now this is this is like real time. And and it allowed me to be a lot more open and not fall away even farther, which by the grace of God, I married an amazing woman that kind of like shepherd us here and then i kind of like took the reins after that yeah mm-hmm. excellent
1: it's all about the why it's all about man. the wise man uh, i gotta I'm tell you, you i like that we
2: can say that with a priest here it's all about the wise <laughs> right father no,
1: <laughs> so um do you have any closing comments i feel like we pretty much yeah no, we covered a lot uh, touch a lot of ground i guess one last question that i would ask you sure um what can the lady do to help the church? Because it's not we already kind of touched on it, but it's not just the job of the priest. Like um the things that are happening, for example, in Germany that you already that you also yes. preached on. Um, that was one point of conversation in the RE parent class at St. John of Arc mm-hmm. that 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 uh, homily sparked a whole discussion among parents, like, okay. Mm-hmm. What can we do right. as a laity when things within the church are happening, not to lose our peace and continue to do what we know is right, even though there are all these things that are kind of like pulling the rug from underneath us? Right, mm-hmm. right. Um,
0: it's a good question, you know, and the answer, I think, is, is may, on the one hand simple, on the other hand a little tricky. Um, the simple thing is to know your faith, And hold on to it tightly and don't let anybody ever shake you from it. Mm -hmm. Remember that St. Paul wrote to the Galatians, if anybody comes to you preaching a different gospel than the one you received, have nothing to do with it, Mm -hmm. right? It's a false gospel. So you know what you've been taught. You know what the catechism teaches, right? Hold on to it. And if some priest or somebody comes along and starts teaching something different, be stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'll explain it a little more. Uh, I love uh, St. John Henry Newman. Right. Because he's an Anglican convert and his writings are wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing he wrote is called On Consulting the Faithful in Matters of Doctrine. And he pointed out that all through the Arian centuries. uh, So when the church was greatly influenced by the Arian heresy, which taught that Jesus was not quite fully divine, close to God, but not really God. Mm -hmm. Right. Less than God. And that heresy had spread very far through the church. Well, he pointed out it was the laity who actually, by their tenacity, preserved the faith through those centuries and eventually wore out the clergy <laughs> wow. Wow. and brought them back to the orthodox faith that we believe now, that Jesus is fully divine. So the laity are an essential part of the church. They're an essential part of the teaching function of the church. Mm-hmm. Right? And preserving our faith is also... Very much the duty of the laity. So know your faith, hold on to it, be stubborn, and uh, if, if and if the priest comes along and he's preaching something, you know, obviously give him respect, listen, think about it. You know, maybe he, maybe he's saying something that is new and, and you need to consider it. You know, you know maybe. But if but if he's contradicting the faith or teaching something false, you know, don't don't say well I've got to believe it now. He's yeah. a priest, he said it. Uh, no. Um, no. Be a little be a little stubborn. Mm -hmm. That's my advice.
1: That's That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the conversation. It's been great having you. Um would you mind giving uh our listeners your blessing? I'd be
0: happy. Thank you both for having me here. It's been it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Um everyone who is listening, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father. All these people, your servants, may they be blessed and may you fill them richly with all heavenly insight that they would know their faith, hold it fast and turn to you, their shelter and their helper in all their needs. And so it is that I ask your blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Amen.
2: Thank you so much. Father, Thank you for, for your time. welcome. God bless you.